folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here as always, and we welcome in from Trench Warfare, once upon a time just known on our shows as the O-Line Guy, but now has built a very successful substack of which I am a subscriber, Brandon Thorne. What is up, Brandon? Not too much, man. Uh, excited to be joining you yet again, and, and just a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Well, your work was a must-follow in draft season, remains a must-follow for anyone interested in offensive line play. You interviewed some of the offensive line prospects. You wrote about them. You wrote scouting reports about them. And uh, I think a lot of hard work was absolutely worth it for people like myself who were doing tons of draft prep on offensive linemen. So we've got to start with um, a dream scenario for someone like Brandon Thorne with lots of offensive linemen being taken in the first round. Before we get into Christian Darisaw, just tell me what you thought of the way the offensive lineman came off the board in the first. Uh, I mean, nothing too surprising, really. I was kind of surprised Tevin Jenkins didn't go in the first, but then, you know, a week or so before the draft, some stuff started coming out about some off-field stuff, so I guess maybe his slide had you know, something to do with that. But, yeah, I mean, other than that one, uh, nothing too surprising really man i mean about you know as expected i think more of the surprises came in you know rounds two and three to me but yeah round one was was uh you know kind of par for the course of what i was expecting i think well, it sounds like the Vikings had some interest in trading up for Rashawn Slater. Now, I think they did the right thing by trading back if they wanted to take an offensive lineman instead of a quarterback for trading back and getting Christian Derrissaw instead. How big was the gap in your mind between the top two, Penny Sewell and, and Rashawn Slater, and um, kind of the, the others and someone like Christian Derrissaw? Well, yeah, Rashawn Slater was my third tackle, so I had Tevin Jenkins as the second best tackle in the draft. Uh, but yeah, um, I had Darisol as the fourth best, and um, you know I had a first round grade on him though. Uh, but I, I think he went where I, you know, basically exactly where I, I thought he had his best value was like in the you know top twenty five basically. Um, so yeah, I mean. You know, it was, it was Sewell, Jenkins, Slater, Darisaw. Sewell was, you know, kind of in his own tier. And then Slater, uh, Jenkins, and Darisaw were all pretty close. But, 
Um, yeah, I saw Darisaw as that fourth guy. But, you know, in terms of sheer physical traits and talent, he's on par with many of them. Well, that's what I liked about Christian Darisaw as a prospect is, like, when we talked about Brian O'Neill back a couple of years ago when they took him, it was – hey, you know, this guy's going to have to put on a lot of weight and he's going to have to get a lot bigger and he's going to have to have a real nasty side if he's going to succeed. And ultimately, he did all those things. But there were a lot of question marks and what ifs just even starting with his body. With Christian Derrissaw, this is a mammoth human being, uh, Brandon. I know that you're you're used to watching uh, huge guys and uh, being around huge offensive linemen, but I feel like um, having seen Christian Derrissaw in person, one of the bigger guys that they've brought into the offensive line room. So kind of give me the scouting report here, man. I mean, how much does Darisaw have to improve, and, and what does he do best that made him a first-round pick? Yeah, so, I mean, you said it initially there with the size, just the physical dimensions, his, his frame, his build, and just physically the way he appears on film to me reminded me a lot of Deion Dawkins. Uh, with the Bills, and that was the comparison I gave. And not totally because their styles are, you know, that similar. There's some similarities there, but it's more so for their physical appearance on film um, and just their physicality as well. They're very physical players. Um, Darisaw, uh, I think his play strength is, is above average for sure. I mean, he's able to generate really easy power. I would qualify his power as probably very good. Um, he's really able to kind of engulf defenders at the point of attack and control them with relative ease. Um, and I think that's going to translate well. Uh, so all that is reminiscent of Deion Dawkins. And that's kind of what I think you're getting. Uh, the, the thing is, I think he has a little bit more upside than Dawkins because he's more of a fluid mover uh, than Dawkins. He's a little bit more athletic, a little bit more natural on the move um, to the second and third levels. And he came from a heavy zone scheme of Virginia tech. So the, uh, the fit, you know, certainly is there with Minnesota because he's going to be, be being asked, he's going to be asked to do the same things he did in college. Uh, so that that's always comforting. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, there's there's not a whole lot to to ding him on um, in terms of my checklist that I go through when I watch guys. The, the biggest thing that I would question is his focus and concentration. Um, I think that was pretty up and down uh, for a guy as talented as he is. He played down to competition uh, quite often, um, and that was a concern for me, and that was the only reason really why I had him as the fourth-ranked tackle uh, was kind of that late first-round grade um, because, I, you know, it's just with offensive linemen, man, I mean, it's not going to get any easier in, in the pro game to fix that. Uh, but, you know, then again, with you know, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, right? I mean, you could look at it like, okay, when he gets to the NFL – all competition is going to be high, uh, to, you know, compared to what he saw in college. So maybe, you know, that just goes away and it's a non-issue and we forget about it like it never happens. Um, you know, I think that's certainly viable. Um, but then again, you know, it's like maybe when he gets to the NFL and he's not facing an all-pro or a Pro Bowl type guy, is he going to get kind of lax and lazy? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, so that it's just kind of a question mark for me um, that you know remains to be seen if he could get corrected. Um, but I, you know, I want to be careful not to question his uh, competitive toughness or anything like that because I certainly think he has that. He's played hurt numerous times in his career. He had a, a core muscle injury this year, freshman. He had a bum ankle that he hurt in the second game of the season. Played the whole year, then that off-season surgery that caused him to miss the spring, heading into his sophomore year. He's a lightly recruited dude who was overlooked coming out of high school. 
so he has that chip on his shoulder kind of mentality. So there's a lot to like about him. Um, and I, I certainly did like him. Uh, it's just, you know, when you rack and stack the prospects next to each other, I came out the way I did, but still, I think the upside is there and the floor is there as well to, for him to be a good pro right away and a chance to be really, really good, man. So, and I love the fit. Well, I think what you're saying is that he won't be good against the Lions. That was just a LOL Lions joke. But, I mean, in all seriousness, though, that this is the thing This is the thing about Christian Derrissaw this year, though, Brandon, and, and what I wanted to ask you about is the competition is going to be something. I mean, when you look at the Vikings, they're playing the NFC West and the AFC North. So, well, let's think about that real quick. I mean, you've got, you know, Chandler Jones and Cam Hayward and Miles Garrett and, I mean, all these Bosa. guys. Yeah, yeah, right, right, Bosa. I mean, all these right. guys that you're going to have to face – and, you know, I think he's going to really get quite the welcome to the NFL. So what what do you think is when you watch all these offensive linemen and you watch them make this transition, like what's the thing that works for guys and what's the thing that gets them sometimes about making that transition from college to the NFL? I think it's technique and consistency and efficiency. Um, just, just being consistent with your technique and fundamentals. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, guys who – you know, aren't very consistent with their feet or their hands. Uh, just one little, you know, slip up in either one of those areas, especially your feet. Um, you know, I mean, it's just a matter of learning the, the, the patterns, the movement patterns, the angles, the timing, uh, all that different type of stuff based on the alignment that you're seeing, based on the uh, opponent that you're seeing. It changes for each of those. So, obviously, if you think about all the different alignments, all the different opponents, all the different looks, your pass set is going to have to adjust accordingly. Uh, that takes time and repetition to correct and to, you know, just navigate. Um, so, I, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, because most of these guys that are getting drafted, especially in the first round, you know, they all have the traits that you really want. I mean, even though this year, you know, it's kind of funny because Sewell and Slater, you know, arm length they didn't have, but in terms of athletic ability and power and movement skill, they had all that. So, you know, generally when you get, you know, a high round pick, um, you know, they're, they're going to have the physical stuff. It's, it's a matter of the mental stuff and how, how well you're able to make adaptations to your game and your technique and fundamentals and timing. I think those are the biggest things and it's really nuanced, but, and it takes time really. I mean, you know, but I think Derisaw has plenty of talent. I mean, that's not a question. I think that's obvious when you watch him on film. Um, you know, and I, I watched I think, four or five games with him, and he faced some pretty good competition. You know, of Miami, he saw Quin- Quincy Roche, who yeah, I think he went fifth or sixth round. Actually, he's actually a fairly skilled rusher, just doesn't have a lot of physical traits there. Um, uh, Duke has a couple guys uh, as well. Um, one guy that's in the NFL now got drafted, Chris Rumpf. Uh, I don't think he faced him very often, but so he's faced some pretty good guys over his career. I know he faced Brian Burns as a freshman, I believe. I couldn't get a hold of that tape, unfortunately, but I know he played Brian Burns then. Um, so he's seen some some guys that are, you know, pretty decent to superstar NFL players occasionally. Um, I don't I don't see high competition being like that scary of a thing at all for him in particular because I think he can match them in terms of traits and you know just the athletic ability the size, the the movement skills, and the power. I think he has all that. It's just going to be that consistency, and that's something with him that, you know, like I mentioned with the focus and concentration, 
he's really going to have to dial it in and take it to a level that he never really took it to as a college player, as a pro, uh, to really maximize his potential, which I think is substantial. Well, the first step to all of that is awareness, uh, recognizing the problem. And I, I did have a chance to ask Darisaw the other day about, you know, making that transition. And he said there are a lot of things that are way more complicated and way different. And, you know, the competition level, too. You know, he said he was looking forward to facing Khalil Mack. And I wanted to say, are, are you sure you are? Because I've watched him quite a few times just rip up Vikings uh, tackles who have been pretty good. But, but the fact that he's aware that some of these things need to improve, I, I think is important. And um, that he uh, also Rick Spielman said he impressed the Vikings in that way uh, as well. So there is that mental part of it. Now let's talk about Wyatt Davis. Uh, what do you know about Wyatt Davis? I gave this pick an A plus when the Vikings took him because he was ranked highly by a lot of people in terms of the you know the peer guards in this draft. But um, what do you see when you look at him and how he might fit in right away? Yeah, I like Wyatt Davis. I had a second-round grade on him. Um, I was fortunately able to grade every player that got drafted on the offensive line, except one, actually, Cole Van Lanen from Wisconsin. He was the one guy I missed. But um, when I when I ranked all the guards, he was – I don't have the list in front of me, but he was pretty high. I mean, I had him second round. So, you know, the, I think it was what Landon Dickerson I had as a guard center, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, and I had Creed Humphrey as a guard center as well. But I think like after those three, he was the next guy. So I, I really liked him. Uh, but the thing with him is you have to watch him in 2019 um, as well as 2020 because 2020 he dealt with a pretty significant knee injury. He was playing injured most of the year. Um, and he just looked like a different player. 2019, he was different. He was better. His movement was more fluid. Um, I think that's the biggest change that I think you'll see if you watch his 2019 tape and contrast it with 2020. So just more of a fluid mover. But, I mean, the, the movement skills there, even in 2019, were, I think, solid. Um, that's not really what is so appealing about him to me. I think it's more of a... The, the demeanor that he plays with and the ability to impose his will um, as often as he did uh, in the Big Ten, which has really good competition, um, you know, was very impressive. So he's going to bring, I think, a tone-setting type of presence uh, to the line, um, which, you know, any offensive line can benefit from that. I, um, in terms of skill set and stuff, I think his anchoring ability is really good mm -hmm. and his use of hands are good as well both above average in my opinion. So I think that's, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest difference that you'll notice and fans will notice is his ability to anchor uh, is just really good, man. And especially just coming out, you know, uh, you know, as a young guy, I mean, you know, the, that ability to land your hands inside the guy's frame, the pass rusher's frame and absorb the bull rush and create a firm pocket. That's, that's huge. And that was enough for me to give him the grade that I did really, um, you know, and I think he's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I thought he was maybe a little bit better of a fit in a gap type of scheme uh, than, a, than his own scheme, even though at Ohio State they run heavy inside zone um, and they run some outside zone as well. So he's done a ton of inside zone stuff. Um, so I really like him, um, you know, to create vertical displacement in the run game. 
And uh, like I said, I think he uses his hands well, and his anchoring ability is, is, is impressive. So, so give me your opinion on this. Mike Zimmer made it a directive to the scouting staff that they wanted bigger human beings at guard. And it was something that we probably brought up that with Kirk Cousins' lack of mobility, to go with these smaller guards and a smaller center probably wasn't the best fit for them and once again recognizing the problem is the first step and so they get a guy who might not be a perfect fit in the run game but I think that's okay I mean I know the Vikings love to run but if you're losing a tiny bit in the run blocking to gain a lot in the pass protection I think that's exactly what they needed Brandon yeah I mean uh, you know if you're gonna have a smaller undersized center like Bradbury it's nice to put a guy like Wyatt Davis next to him uh, you know, it's really that simple, especially in pass protection. I mean, anytime he's uncovered and Bradbury has a guy that he may not be able to handle himself, Davis is going to provide a very strong physical presence uh, in, in helping him. Um, that was something I posted a few clips of him on my Twitter as well. That, that's kind of a reoccurring theme in his film. Is if he's uncovered in pass protection, he's going to really, you know, try to crush whoever he can um, and, and have the power to actually make an impact doing it. Uh, so I think he's going to be a pretty good help there for Bradbury um, in those uncovered situations. And then when he is covered, dealing with somebody, he's going to be able to anchor. Um, and, and that's huge, man. I mean, anchoring as a guard is not something you see a lot of young guys do that well in college. Um, but I, I thought that was something that he did particularly well. And especially on play action, man, when you have to sell run and get your hands on a guy quickly and then anchor, um, you know, that's huge. So I think that was probably, if I had to guess, one of, if not like the biggest draws that maybe Minnesota saw in him is, is that ability. Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and Soda Stick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Hey everyone, anybody who listens to the show knows... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. 
There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade-style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. What's funny about this conversation is how I could just feel Vikings fans like leaning into their phone or however they're listening to this being like, he can anchor, he can stop someone in the pass protection. Tell me more. Tell me more. Like, it's been so funny that you and I have talked about these things for probably four or five years. And we're usually sitting here talking about, well, they drafted this guy who's a good zone blocker and wouldn't expect him to be above average at pass protection and like this about his game, but not that. And they're pretty weak here and they're well above or well below average here. And, you know, it finally seems like, and I want to get to Ezra Cleveland in a second, uh, Brandon, but it just finally seems like they have the foundation here to build a very, very good offensive line by investing all these draft picks in it. I think so, man. I mean, I don't know how that's going to work with who's going to play what side in terms of guard. Um, you know, I saw some people on Twitter say, well, Ezra Cleveland might just stay a left guard or play there. I that's going to be interesting to me. I mean, Wyatt Davis played right guard at Ohio State, so um, more, I guess, a natural fit there. I like the idea of putting Darisaw kind of next to – well, I don't know. I mean, see, that's something we'll, – if you want to go that route, we could talk about it because the combination there, I could make the case for basically any combination. So um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds there. But, yeah, I mean, I either way, uh, you know, putting Wyatt Davis, say, if, they, if he did play left guard, it's a dramatic upgrade over – what was there last year. Um, and that was the biggest hole really. Um, and I, I think, I think it's, there's a really good chance Terrasaw is going to be at least as good as Riley Reef next year. Um, and, you know, obviously have the upside to be better, um, you know, if not next year in the years to come. So as long as O'Neill keeps progressing, I mean, yeah, man, I mean, this is, uh, the most promising, uh, group that I can remember, uh, since we started talking. Well, well, let's get in the weeds a little bit on, uh, Ezra Cleveland, because last year we questioned it, uh, Jeremiah Searles, you know, he does the show, he, um, talks a lot about moving offensive linemen around and he doesn't really love that of, Hey, let's, you know, take this tackle and move them all the way to the other side. And there were certainly some bumps in the road for last year for Ezra Cleveland. Uh, I would guess that he goes to left guard and then Wyatt Davis just stays at right guard. So they don't have to ask another rookie to move around. And, you know, left side is where Ezra Cleveland had played before, but it looks like now this guy is locked in to guard for a long time. Uh, do we like that? I mean, is that a good draft pick for them if they spent a second on him? And I don't mean this to be a leading question. I just, you know, is it a good draft pick to send, spend a second on him last year if he was only ever going to be a guard? Uh, I mean, I think just when you phrase it that way, I think it certainly can be. Um, you know, I mean, spending a second or, yeah, I mean, spending, spending a second round 
pick on a guard if he could become above average to me is worth it uh you know i'm obviously a little biased in that but (laughs) um yeah i mean but i i've seen you know what guards can do for an offensive line for you know the seven years i've been doing this um if you have a above average guard um that's huge especially in today's nfl where as you know we've discussed at length uh, the quality of competition on the interior defensive line is significant so if you can have a guy who can kind of match that i think it's you know closer to being as valuable as a tackle than people think um depending on the offense as well um what kind of situations that they're in but yeah i mean ezra cleveland um yeah i mean i you know, I didn't watch him a ton coming out, uh, and I, I watched him a little bit last year, so I can't go too deep into his individual game like I can these other guys. Uh, but from what I've seen, I would honestly probably like to see him tackle more. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's, um, you know, out of the question that he can turn into a solid guard. Um, I don't necessarily see, you know, very good uh, or or above for him in the future necessarily. I mean, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't peg him as that kind of guy. But I think he could be a functional starter um, who may be the the weak the weak link of the unit if they if this unit sticks together for the next two three years. I think that he probably has the lowest ceiling, um, but. You know, that's not to say he can't be serviceable um, because obviously he's athletic, he's quick, and he could do some good things uh, in the screen game and in, like, outside zone, you know, reaching guys, and, you know, that's where he wins. So I think that he has kind of a niche skill set there where he can really, you know, add value to the to the team. Yeah, and that's why I didn't want to make it a leading question. Like, I'm not saying that drafting a guard there would have been bad. It's only that you seemed at the time to draft him to be your left tackle and then never tried him at left tackle. That was always odd to me. And so as much as I appreciate what they've done here with Christian Derisaw to build up this offensive line, whether it's Kirk Cousins or someone else at quarterback, they will benefit from having this offensive line grow together in the future. It's just that never trying him at left tackle is is very curious to me based on the reports on him coming out of the draft. So let me ask you just one more thing um, before we wrap up, because you're a busy man and I appreciate all of your time and all of your extremely hard work leading up to the draft, which, like I said, Trench Warfare, I am a subscriber. I really love your stuff, Brandon, as you know. So um, just tell me, though, Penny Sewell is in the division now, and so is Tevin Jenkins. Those are your top two. How much are those guys going to impact the division and how much the Vikings can pressure the quarterback going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think both of them are better run blockers, probably the pass protectors, um, although I'm, I really like both of them just all around. But I think really their kind of trump card ability as players is run blockers. So that's, you know, that's first off. But um, yeah, I mean, just their presence, I think, is going to be huge, man. I mean, Fanay Sewell, I, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's special, man. I mean, you know, he needs, you know, some fine tuning. Uh, he's, he's very inexperienced and he's only 20. Um, so there's going to be, you know, I think probably some rough patches, uh, you know, initially, you know, against really high level competition and pass protection in particular. But I think he has potential to be like the best run blocking tackle in the NFL. Uh, you know, I, I see him on par with like a Trent Williams type of guy. 
um, you know, as a run blocker. Now, if his pass protection can get to matching his, um, that's, you know, a little bit of a different question. Uh, I don't necessarily see that for him. I see more of like an above average pass protector. Um, but, you know, that's why I compared him to Leo Collins, uh, especially 2019 version of Leo Collins when he, I thought was maybe the best run blocking right tackle in football and a, an above average pass protector. Um, I think that's kind of what you would get with Sewell. Um, but yeah, so he, he's just, he, I think he's pretty special, man. I think the ceiling for him is, is as high as I, in the last few years of the draft that I've been watching guys and I didn't watch any class as much as I did this one, but I think his ceiling is as high as anybody. Um, so yeah, I, I really like him. And then, um, Tevin Jenkins to me, I thought his power, uh, and his play strength were like, you know, pretty much elite for a prospect. So that's why I just kind of hitched my wagon to him so early because I just saw, okay, this guy is going to be able, this will translate to me is his ability to, you know, latch onto a guy and just put the, put the defender in a cage and control the rep. Um, and he's good with his hands as well. So good with your hands and you have that elite level power. You know, that to me, even if you need some work with your footwork and pass protection and other things, I think over time, all his issues are correctable. You know what I mean? Like he, all of the stuff that I saw that gave him trouble was correctable. Um, his length, um, will get him into maybe a little bit of trouble. I didn't see a whole lot of it on tape, but when you, you know, have to bump up your competition, I think that we could see some of that maybe against like Chandler Jones type guy with like 34 plus 35 inch arms. Those kind of guys are really good with their hands. Um, so I didn't give him, you know, an all pro ceiling grade type, you know, type of grade like I gave Sewell, but I think he's going to be a good pro right away with his ceiling to get to very good. I compared him to Judrick Wills. I think he's similar to him. Uh, maybe not quite as athletic as Wills, but similar type of physical commanding type of grip strength and presence. Um, and I think he fits well in Chicago. I just heard today he might play left tackle which is interesting. Um, I liked him more at right, but he has experience playing left. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that transition goes for him. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, but I love Slater as well. So um, I just like Jenkins a tad more. But, yeah, those two are going to be – I mean, it's crazy that you guys got three of my four top tackles in the same division. It's pretty cool. Well, I was just going to say that it's uh, it was sort of an emotional roller coaster for Vikings fans because they were pleased with Derisaw, but their team passed up on a quarterback. And then in the division, Justin Fields ends up here and Tevin Jenkins for a good Chicago haul at the beginning. And then, you know, Penny Sewell ends up dropping to Detroit, so they can't be thrilled about that. So And then the Rodgers report. So it was all over the place. But that's, uh, that is why we love the draft as much as we do. Trenchwarfare.substack.com. Also, if you don't already follow... Brandon on Twitter, then you are doing it wrong at Brandon Thorne NFL. Brandon, man, it's always great to catch up with you. Love your detail. Love your work. And uh, we'll do it again soon when you've got some Viking, maybe when you've got offensive line preseason tape this year, right? Am I right? <laughs> Let's go. I mean, I'm it, ready. Yeah, man, I'll be, I'll be watching. So uh, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be ready, man. Whenever you, whenever you want to have me on. All right. Sounds great. And thanks again for your time, man. All right, man, anytime. 
Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 877-2688 extension 232 to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company.